Well, today we pick up where we left off on Christmas Eve. The shepherds have returned to their flocks. The great multitude of angels is no longer singing from the heavens. It's just Joseph and Mary and their newborn child. The spectacular has given way to the ordinary. And so Joseph and Mary begin the process of raising a faithful Jewish boy. In fulfillment of the law, Jesus is circumcised, and they travel to the temple to offer a sacrifice and to present their boy to the Lord. Throughout this passage, we see a repeated phrase, the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord. There's a persistent emphasis on the law of the Lord. Luke is drawing our attention to the fact that Jesus, from his earliest days, was entirely obedient to the law of the Lord. And if you think about it, this speaks to the humility of God and the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph. Why? Because Jesus was dependent on his parents for these acts of obedience. Jesus was sinless and perfect in every way, and to a partial degree, we have Joseph and Mary to thank for that. Had Joseph and Mary not fulfilled the law in Jesus' infancy, then Jesus would have fallen short of full obedience. That's incredible. But it's a picture of what it looks like to grow up in a covenant family. Christian children require faithful Christian parents who will pray with them, teach them, discipline them, disciple them, nurture them, bring them to weekly worship, present them to the Lord, and so on. The Christian faith is for children, not just for adults, not just for self-sufficient individuals, not just for people who can articulate good doctrine. Jesus is able to say to every child within our church, I've been there and I know what it's like. Now, if Luke wanted, he could have made this scene that we just read a lot shorter. If we were to cut out verses 25 through 38, it would be a seamless transition. They travel to Jerusalem, they offer a sacrifice, they present Jesus in the temple. And then verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. But Luke has decided to expand upon the narrative a bit. While Joseph and Mary and Jesus are visiting the temple, they encounter two important people, Simeon and Anna. We'll start with Simeon. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. We'll pause there. We see here a threefold action of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. The Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would see the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit moved Simeon into the temple. The phrase in verse 27, he came in the spirit, is used elsewhere in scripture in association with prophets who prophesied concerning the temple. Ezekiel is moved in the spirit to the valley of dry bones, and he's given a vision of the new temple. The apostle John in the book of Revelation is moved in the spirit to a mountain 
where he too is given a vision of a new temple. So Simeon is moved in the spirit to the temple in Jerusalem, where he encounters the baby boy upon whom these prophecies hinge. Simeon is not just given a vision. Simeon is permitted to see and to hold the Messiah in his arms. Verse 27, And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So Simeon, filled with the Spirit, utters this prophetic oracle. And just like Mary's Magnificat, which we looked at last week, Simeon's speech here is sung at the end of every day by multiple Christian traditions. The song is known as the Nunc Dimittis, if I'm saying that right, which again, like the Magnificat, is taken from the opening line. Now you dismiss, Nunc Dimittis. But there's one surprising element within Simeon's words that I want to point out. Back in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah is told that John would prepare Israel for the coming of the Messiah. Then Mary is told that her son Jesus would reign over the house of Jacob, meaning Israel. And when Mary and Zechariah sing their respective songs, they sing about salvation of Israel. So thus far in the Gospel of Luke, it's all been about the nation of Israel. John is preparing Israel. Jesus is ruling over Israel. Everyone is singing about Israel. But Simeon broadens the scope of Jesus' ministry. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, in light, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So not only would Jesus bring light and glory to Israel, Jesus would also bring light and glory to Gentile nations. In verse 33, Jesus' father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I imagine Mary is listening to Simeon and thinking, thank you, but I have no idea what you're talking about. So what does Simeon mean when he says this? Your child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel. For a sign that is opposed, a sword will pierce your souls and many hearts will be revealed. Well, I think Simeon is foreshadowing the cross. This is a reference to the crucifixion of Jesus. We know that Mary was present at the cross. In the words of Kenneth Bailey, around the cross, there flows a river of compromise. Everyone is strangely exposed. So the disciples, those who knew Jesus best, run away in fear. Peter makes bold promises, but he ultimately denies Jesus. The high priest is complicit in the murder of an innocent man. Pilate sacrifices Jesus for the sake of his own political career. And all of these hearts get revealed at the cross. In the midst of all this chaos and fear and deception, selfishness and murder, there at the foot of the cross stood Mary. She was helpless to change anything, 
but she was faithful to be with her son in his darkest hour. Every time Jesus was pierced, Mary felt that pain in her soul, just like Simeon had said. So even in the midst of all this joy, Simeon knows that the path ahead will be dark and difficult for both Jesus and Mary. Now on to the prophetess Anna. Whereas the Gospel of Luke gives us a detailed account of Simeon's interaction with Jesus, we're left to wonder what actually happened with Anna. She comes into the temple and we're told that she begins to speak, but we aren't told what she says. Luke just carries on with the story. So why is that? Why don't we get to hear what Anna has to say? Let's begin reading in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. I think I pronounced that differently last time. Of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. These numbers are highly significant. Luke really has no reason to specify these numbers unless there's something for us to see in them. Seven is the number of completion and creation. And 84 is seven times 12, 12 being the number representing Israel. So the point is not just that Anna is old. The point is that Anna represents the entire nation of Israel. The fullness of Israel, seven times 12, the fullness, seven of Israel, 12. But more than that, as the number seven suggests, Anna represents a newly constituted Israel. Israel recreated, Israel born again. And the fact that Anna was from the tribe of Asher actually reinforces this idea. The tribe of Asher was one of the ten lost tribes of Israel. After the Assyrian Empire conquered the ten tribes, they slowly but surely assimilated into the nations, and they effectively disappeared from historical records. But here's Anna, a member of the tribe of Asher, a representative of the lost tribes, Anna represents the nation of Israel regathered and reunited in Christ. The lost tribes are finally coming home. Jesus is giving the people of God a new birth. Now, I know that was a lot to follow, but the key takeaway is this. Anna represents the entire nation of Israel, and she knew that Jesus had come to redeem the nation of Israel. And the reason I think that Luke does not tell us what Anna says in the temple is that he wants to challenge his Jewish readers, his Jewish audience, to ask themselves, what do I say? Luke is demanding that the nation of Israel answer the question, who is Jesus? Back to verse 37. Anna did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, the hour that Simeon encountered Jesus, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Both Simeon and Anna were devout Jews. Their piety surpassed the piety of all others. I think Luke is inviting us to contrast their devotion and the faith that they, uh, that they showed with the other prominent Jews at the time of Christ's birth. When Simeon and Anna were worshiping and fasting and praying, waiting eagerly for the Messiah, King Herod was actively trying to murder Jesus. 33 years later, Jesus would come to this very same temple and the leaders of Israel would condemn him to die. 
So in general, the rich and powerful are blind to the birth of their own salvation. But as we saw last week, the Lord was exalting those of humble estate, Mary and Simeon and Anna. The identity of Jesus as the Messiah was being revealed to the faithful and the devout. So Simeon and Anna demonstrate for us what godly devotion looks like. They spent their days in the temple worshiping, learning, fasting, and praying. And here's the, the thing. Simeon and Anna knew the sin and corruption that poisoned the house of God. They knew the temple needed cleansing. They knew that Israel needed saving. It's why they were there every day. But even though they were well acquainted with the temple's flaws, they did not abandon the temple on account of its flaws. Simeon and Anna remained in the temple, fasting and praying for the cleansing of the temple. There's a lot we can learn from that. It's very easy today to dwell upon the church's flaws and failings, but abandoning the church is precisely the wrong instinct. The church needs prophets and prophetesses who see the flaws and yet remain, fasting and praying for the cleansing of the church. If God says that he dwells in the church as he dwelt in the temple, that the church is where he can be found, then we should go there with our petitions. One more thing. Simeon and Anna provide a wonderful example for us to follow in terms of spiritual discipline. By that, I mean our devotional practices, the spiritual rhythms that we employ. Simeon and Anna were devout in their daily rhythms, and it seems clear that God rewarded them for that. I recognize that for many of us in our church, life doesn't really lend itself to the cultivation of a robust devotional life. The young mom with three small children is probably not going to be devoting the most devoted devotional ever devoted. So I'm not necessarily proposing a one-size-fits-all approach to spiritual discipline. But I also don't want to miss this opportunity to commend these practices to you. By no means do I think Simeon and Anna were saved by their spiritual disciplines. But I do think that Simeon and Anna, by virtue of their devotion, made themselves into fitting vessels for the filling of the Holy Spirit. That was their reward the filling of the Holy Spirit. Positionally, they were no better off than any other faithful member of the covenant community. To be in the covenant is to be in the covenant. One's level of discipline does not determine one's status before God. But God was able to use Simeon and Anna uniquely because their humility and willingness to be a vessel. In short, we should pursue these disciplines because there are blessings to be had. God delights to honor those practices with the filling of the Holy Spirit. For those who pray and fast and worship and give generously and meditate on the scriptures, there are blessings to be had. Blessings we would not have enjoyed otherwise. Imagine a church full of Simeons and Annas. What a privilege it would be to belong to a church like that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this season and this chance to reflect on the wonderful truth that God has become a man. Jesus has come to earth to bring us into right relationship with the Father. 
We thank you for the example of faithfulness that we saw this morning for Mary and Joseph, Simeon and Anna. We ask that your spirit would empower the same faithfulness in us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.